Welcome to the Creative Entrepreneur Show. What do we have this week, Brian? Good morning, Rosh. Um, you know, I've got a little bit of a difficult topic today. Um, something I've been mulling over for the last few weeks that I'm ready to talk about. Parting ways with your biggest client. Uh, also, I want to talk about some smart audiences on Meta. And uh, I got a question for you later. What do you have going on today? So uh, this week, we have something new from Google that's coming out, they think, by the end of the year. A big topic of ours. So we'll get into that. What do you do with old content? I think that's a great topic that people really, and I think that's something you can certainly, I'll have some questions uh, for you on that and how you approach it. Then last one, you know, why might you want to live stream? Uh, that's a, uh, a topic that we really haven't gotten into very much, but I think I've been thinking about it lately for some of my projects and the why of that is really what I want to get into. So why don't we start with your, your big topic this week? Yeah, thank you. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, we are a, a creative digital agency. We create social media content. And one of our biggest clients was this, I'm not going to name names, but they're a big entertainment facility. They've had a lot of locations across Michigan. And uh, we've unfortunately become a victim of our own success. We've done a really good job for them, in, you know, in our opinion, for the last four or five years. And um, the company has continued to grow to the point where they're actually going to be going public. And with that, forming their own internal departments for marketing and social media. Um, so we were unfortunately delivered that, that bad news. And it made us kind of look back at our, our agency and how we're, we're structured. It was tough because they're, they're about a quarter of our business. And uh, it, it, was, it was a tough thing to deal with. And I'm excited to hear your input on this, Rosh, because I think you've said you've been through some things similar. But I want to just mm. talk a little bit to the creative entrepreneur out there where um, about a couple different strategies where if you are a creative agency and you've got a, a various clients, um, sometimes you want to be wary of having one of those clients be the majority of you know what your, your breadwinning is. And um, you want to be really careful on that. One of the, the big things, too, when my wife and I went into, you know, forming um, this company is that we wanted to make sure that we didn't really have somebody who we considered to be our boss. And we wanted to be our own bosses. We you know, wanted to be independent as entrepreneurs. And when you do have a client that takes up such a large amount of what your company does, it starts to feel like you do have a boss when, you know, that client called, I certainly had that same feeling of, you know, when I was working a nine to five and, you know, when your boss called, it's that same level of anxiety. So, um, so it, it's, it's important to make sure that you um, you've got a lot of different diversified clients all the way around. So that way your team can stay moldable and ready to adapt to their challenges and you don't become molded by your client. And when, you know, this, this one was so big, we had to change a lot of our processes to meet, you know, their needs. And, you know, some of it was good. We were able to learn. Um, but some of it also made us really, you know, pivot away from what we're really good at, pushed us outside of our expertise. And, you know, Rash, we talked about that in some previous episodes where if, you know, we yeah. get pushed yeah. into trying something that's, you know, maybe not our, our, our wheelhouse, our bread and butter, that it can cheapen our overall brand. Right. If we do something else, maybe, you know, web design or a blog or something else that's, you know, not exactly our lane that, um, you know, pushes us outside of that. So um, it, it was it's a, it was a tough pill to swallow when we got the news from them that, um, you know, we weren't going to be continuing with them. 
But um, it was good because it allowed us to refocus our employees' energies outside of it, take what we learned from this bigger company and expand our service offerings to all the smaller companies that we work with. I will say overall, just the level of stress that we've felt as a company to meet with these high-level demands has been alleviated. And it's actually allowed us to focus on so on on fostering the relationship with so many more of our smaller clients yeah and and improve our service offerings and with that relieve relieve us of the reliability of keeping that one giant client happy right and and that was a big stress of the company to keep going so you know i don't i i grant granted i guess at the end of this my advice isn't exactly you know fire your biggest client because originally that was in my head you know being kind of vindictive of it of like oh you know they don't need us we don't need that but <laughs> i you know it's not all bad if you have to part ways with your main biggest client and you know mostly it's well, what did you learn from it um, how can you pivot? How can you make sure that you're improving your service offerings across the board once that relationship has dissolved? And, you know, I, I've already talked a lot about it, Ross, and I want to toss it back your way and get your thoughts and maybe, you know, a story or two of yours that maybe you've been sure. through something. Well, you know, you've had this client for quite a while, right? Four plus and, years. And, yeah. And wasn't this client probably more than 25% of your, your business at, at one point? At one point, yeah, I'd say they were like a third, maybe even half. So yeah. we are fortunate that we've grown yes, to the point exactly. of order. And that's, that, that's my point, is that yeah. you've done it right uh, in that way, making that client less and less of, if, just imagine if it was half, you know. And, and I think 25% is like the max you need to be. Because to your point, you don't, you don't become a creative entrepreneur to have one big client to have them tell you what to do, then it's it's just it's just working contract is all that is for right. one person, and that's not what you're about. And I've had that situation too. I had a big client um, took a decent size percentage of my business, and in they're known for letting people go and kind of rotating agencies and so forth. And the after a few years, I lasted longer than most. Um, I was the last one standing. And then they decide, ah, we're going to try something else. But here's the thing. A year later, they came back. Hmm. And they came back um, because they pretty much said nobody else knew what the heck they were doing. And here's the thing. They're, you know, just because they're creating something internal, you have a track record with them. That internal team very well may not do very well. They may not have the skill set and the ability to do. I don't know that. I mean, obviously, I don't know. But you keeping that door open and say, here, I'm, I'm still here to support you and your team and getting to know them, that they may even be able to support you with some projects. Again, don't know that. I mean, I don't know the details. Uh, but, you know, the, the second time around, I made sure that they were not even as big of as they were before in terms of my portfolio of clients and just keep growing. So I think overall, my response is, they did the job that they're supposed to do. They 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 helped you when you were a younger company with the income that you needed to help grow and find new clients, which you did because now they're 25%. And yeah, probably no more than 10, 15% is probably the max most of the time. The high limit, like I said, 25% if it's really just a great relationship that's going to keep building you. Um, so I've had that many times and, you know, it's never, ever fun. That That's the bottom line because you never want. But at least it wasn't because you did something wrong. 
Right. You know, you, it is now a story that you have in your portfolio. The work you did helped support grow a company to be, be going public. That you can sell. And that experience, now that you have that room, you can sell that story to other people and up and other companies. Uh, and, and that that's that's a gift. That's a gift. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that perspective. I hadn't thought of it in that way. Um, and you, you brought up another point, too. That was actually the last note that I wanted to talk about it today was lastly, don't burn that bridge. Yes. You know, don't leave angry. Keep your head held high. Don't take it personal. Um, because I've, you know, worked nicely on the relationship. I'm going to still to one of their locations at the end of this week to do some more drone footage and Absolutely. do some more filming and on-site content creation. I told them, I said, Hey, I know you guys throw events throughout the year. And even after our monthly relationship is dissolved, be more than happy to show up for, you know, a big event that you're throwing and gather content on site, get some drone footage, so on and so forth. So yeah. 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 Not burning that bridge. Yeah. Another, another similar kind of client that, it was reasonable size that lo- we lost this summer, um, you know, and it wasn't really through any fault. It's really just the industry um, and the, what was happening within the industry, and they just needed to restructure. And I and I basically because they had to go more local than national, and so that was stuff we we could help with. But ultimately, they had the team there locally versus what we were doing nationally. Wow. And so what I did was I I laid out what they needed to do. And I gave them an actual plan to help them get to where they want to go. And ultimately, you know, I'm here for you kind of a approach. Here's some ideas that you might want to use. And, and ultimately, if it works for them and they enact the plan, they very well may need to come back. Right. And so, again, keeping that door open. And uh, sometimes they come back. I've had many clients come back. Uh, but, uh, you know, some just don't. And that's fine, too. I mean, it, it's just going to happen. It's part of the cycle. I've always looked at every big client, and it always seems to work this way, has ten, generally been a two to three year project and moving on. You know, yeah. my, my biggest photography client by far, it was it was in big agency, had a huge client, was a huge part of my business, and they lost the client. Nothing you could do. So. Perfect. All right. Well, throw back to you. Um, you said that Google's got something new for us. Yeah. Uh, so Google, as we know, we've talked AI, of course, and and um, we haven't talked to them as much lately, but I thought this was worthy of mentioning. Google Gemini is something that is probably going to be a big, big deal by the end of the year. And Gemini, Gemini excuse me, is really going to compete with chat GDP, but with much more functionality. Much more, you know, combining text and imagery and, and so forth, even planning, you know, supporting you back and forth, real conversation, more conversational. And it's going to be kind of the thing we thought it might be eventually, you know, it's going to be that next next leap and starting point. And this is really connected into the world of Google's DeepMind um, and Go. They have... You know, they, they have BARD, which is, you know, with the Google Labs uh, right now, which we've all, you know, been playing with if you've signed up and you have that as part of your search now. Well, this this really is, you know, this is tapping into the the AI world in that they haven't been sharing with us at that, you know, that we hear about 
but you know, Bard does, does didn't go that deep. It was it was a good good effort and still is. But uh, this I think is going to take to the next level. So I thought I would share that. I mean, I don't know much more, but other than kind of the fi- fire the warning shot in the air that this will be something we can talk about and apply to our creative businesses because there will be APIs that we will be able to build off of it. And it could be a new new level. But, you know, everybody's working hard in this arena. Who knows what's coming out within the open AI world? It, it's, it is designed to compete directly with open AI. So we'll see what happens. Have, what's the name for it? Does it have a name yet? Ge- Gemini. Gemini. Oh, cool. Nice. I'll be able to remember that. I'm a Gemini. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So it's able, you know, that next step, that next level of AI where, like you said, we're able to incorporate text image planning you know abstract kind of thought all sorts of stuff yeah yeah it's, it's interesting you know what what we know so far uh but more to come cool. all right what do you have next all right well then to, to throw back talking about things that are learning artificially um i wanted to, to talk about some technical stuff on meta um so on Meta, when we when we create, you know, and, and I mean, you know, Facebook and Instagram, yep. when we create a, a poster and ad, we we've always got to choose an audience that this, you know, is getting boosted or promoted to. So I wanted to talk a little bit about smart audiences. So hmm. I consider smart audiences audiences that update based on actions of other people. So it's not just a static audience where I say, hey, my location's in this city. I want a 10-mile radius and people who are interested in such and such. And, right. you know, that's a smart audience to a degree. But I wanted to talk about getting even better than that basic level of, you know, geo- geographically locating someone, maybe locating them on an interest or two. And I want to let people know that you could create audiences in in Meta that are based on some really cool things. First of all, one of the things when I onboard a client, I always am happy when they have good email procedures um, in-house, you know, whether they've got them in a CRM or they've got them in a, a newsletter program like MailChimp or something like that. And we can actually, as long as there's a minimum of 100, we can upload those um, email lists into Meta and create an audience uh, based on just that email list or actually based on lookalikes. So um, a lookalike, we can go up to the top 1%, meaning that, you know, the however many billion users of, you know, Facebook, you take that top 1% of people who will match the demographics of those people who were uploaded. So, Rosh, you know, say you got a minimal minimum of 100 emails, I, typically about 70% of those emails are going to be associated with a Facebook account. So Facebook knows the actions of these people um, based on their their email, their Facebook account. Like, for example, you could see behind me, I've got a ton of guitar stuff. I'm also a golfer. So when I'm on Facebook, I get delivered a lot of articles about guitar stuff and golf. So I would very easily be targeted in that world if, say, a a golf shop, you know, uploaded 100 emails and they looked at, you know, the analytics of all these people – I could very much, you know, very easily show up in that top one percentile of people in what's called a lookalike audience. Right. So you're you're taking your low hanging fruit. These are the people who you know have converted as your business, and then you're creating a very specific audience of people just like that. So that's one level of a smart audience, and you know it gets smarter if you update that audience with more emails. Then there's another one where you can actually make an audience based on the p- actions that people take on your 
your Facebook page. So you can retarget people who have watched, you know, a certain percentage of your videos or at least three to five seconds of your videos. And you can create an audience based on this. And why I, why I love this is that you can run, you know, a certain ad to get people to watch your videos. And then you run another step down the funnel, retargeting those people who have watched a bit of your video. Right. And so that second level audience, I call a smart audience because it's actually getting updated with information based on the people who are interested in the first video you've delivered them. So, you know, this is an example of getting that next step down the funnel on Facebook of, you know, creating a smart audience. Some of the other attributes you can use for this are people who have engaged with your your post. So meaning a like, comment, share, or even, you know, stopping in the middle of your feed to consume the post is considered an engagement. So you can retarget those people. Um, And then lastly, really high level is you can install what's called a pixel on your website and retarget people who have hit specific landing pages. They've created certain actions on your website, whether that be an add to cart or they've browsed certain products. So there's a lot you can do based on that. Um, But I will always state that Apple kind of broke the pixel a couple of years ago yeah. by not, yeah. not letting people track, you know, on, on their iPhone back to the website. So that data, while we're still getting that data, it's not as rich as it used to be. Right. So, um, but yeah, these are just some ways where if you are going to promote your content on Facebook or Instagram, um, that you can create these audiences that it's, it's smarter. It's not just, you know, throwing the spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks, we're going, um, you know, based on some data and, and the people who are, are interested in what you're already sharing. Right. So, um, you know, I'm sure that you've you've had some experience in this world before. Um, but oh, certainly. You know, yeah. You know, and actually, I have a question for you related to that. Do you find that Facebook is increasing the ability to target those audiences or decreasing the availability of different features that help you target, as you refer to them as smart audiences? Ah, good question. Um, I don't think that level has changed in terms of increasing and decreasing. But what I do think has changed is the actually how smart Facebook's algorithm has been when you don't give it that much information. Right. So a lot of my Facebook expert people have said, like, you know, in the when you're you know setting up an audience, there's a spot where it says detailed targeting. Where yeah, that's yeah. where you get their actual interest and stuff. And some of them are actually saying, hey, run an audience where you don't put any of this detailed stuff in and, and A, B it and let Facebook's algorithm decide who's interested and then right. update right. based on that. And seen some success to that, but still not to the same level of, you know, these full on smart audiences. But sure. Uh, sure. but as far as, you know, to go back to your question, um, the, these tools, they've actually been pretty steady for the last seven or eight years from what okay. I've seen. Yeah, just because Google seems to be going the opposite direction in terms of availability and flexibility, they really want it to go more and more to their AI to be able to, to choose this stuff, which has been, you know, you know, just a, a horrible thing as far as I'm concerned, because it's just not there yet, not even close. And, you know, the AI thinks, you know, because you're talking about, you know, sake of argument, home care. Now, you know, he wants to target you to every single home care company. And then there's a popular home care company. And so they keep showing. And those are just people looking for the phone number of the home care company. And, and you can't stop it so easily unless it's just like whack-a-mole kind of stuff. I mean, that's true, of course, with any type of advertising. But they're making it harder and harder. They just want you to put 
all your information in and let their genius AI do it all in, in taking away the the ability to to curb it. And it's just been very frustrating. There's still a lot of opportunity there to curb it. You just have to learn new ways to do it. And with those continuous change. I mean, the only constants change, but I was just curious in, in comparison to Google and Facebook, who was removing more quicker and depending on their AI more. So that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the AI is getting better in Facebook, but they're not removing stuff. So they're not, they're not making it harder for us. So that's good. That's nice. That, that's good. All right. Let's talk, talk a little bit about uh, repurposing old content. Uh, old content. Here's the thing is that there, there are a few advantages that you can use number of ways. A lot of times people think when you get involved in social media, uh, when you get involved in different ways of marketing, that it's just let's just go into the social media world. Forgive me for stepping in your world for a moment, but it, you know, a lot of times, if you're going to post to Twitter, you're going to fo- post to Facebook. You know, a lot of times you think, "Oh, I've already posted that. Why? Why would I want to post it again?" Well, the reason you want to post it again is because th- there are new people in your audience that have never seen it, or especially if it's your best content. People want to see it again or or be reminded or whatever it may be, or because they have seen it before and know it's good content, they may be more likely to share it. They may not read it themselves and say, but this is good stuff. I'm going to share it with my community because last time I read it. Mm-hmm. And and also, you know, just breaking out old content, looking at old content and seeing what could I do with this? Could I make a, a podcast out of this great work? Could I make a video out of this great work? Or what maybe is a video? Maybe I could make a blog post out of this great work. And, and continuously going back, repurposing, updating from an SEO perspective, continuously updating. Maybe you had a really popular blog post a, a year ago. Well, update it for the next year. That That has been tremendously valuable. So don't don't always keep looking forward. It's important to create new, but remember you have a lot of clues as to what you could create next from your archive. And you also have great content that you could share again from your archive. Uh, there, there's one, uh, there's a, there's a hashtag out there called archive day and archive day is the day you go through your blog specifically at the time when that was created about 10 years ago. And and you just put archive day. And this was on Twitter specifically, but I think it's gone on to other areas. It's not a huge hashtag, but it is still used to this day. Um, the reason I know that is because somebody was doing an article on the hashtag archive day, and it turns out I'm the creator of it. Not <laughs> <laughs> on your back. Yeah. So it was, it, you know, it, but it's something that I've always felt was important. And so I would do that. I would have archive day and I would go through some of my best blog posts, my best content, and I would share it throughout that day with the hashtag archive day. And it was a really nice re, kind of rejuvenated the, the site, rejuvenated the social because uh, the best work, my best work was out there. So, so I thought I would share that. And a lot of things you can take from that. And, um, but again, just don't don't forget about your good stuff of the past. Right. Right. What do you got uh, next? Well, actually, I want to talk about this topic. I yeah. Love oh, this yeah. Topic. Certainly. Yeah, because um, this is a big part of what we do. And um, 
And how we're able to offer to our clients not having to like raise their prices year over year. Right. Is my production costs year over year actually go down a little bit. Uh So what we've created within our company is um, as soon as we've had a client for over a year, what we then do is we'll look at our content calendar from that month in the previous year. And typically about 15 to 20% of it, we'll make sure to recycle. And we're not going to recycle it blindly. We have all the data on what's done well and what hasn't. So that was the main thing that you had said that I loved, you know, about your archive day is, you know, you're going to go through and you're going to look at your best performing ones, or at least the things that you think were the best, you know, in terms of of content. And you're going to reshare that. So yeah, when I've had a client for over a year, we, um, you know, we recycle some of it and then we're creating, you know, 70, 80% new. And then the other stuff we're just retouching. Why reinvent the wheel? One of, um, you know, I, this stands out to me. I read this um, blog, I mean, probably five or six years ago when I was getting into this. And they're like, if you create a good piece of evergreen content, and we've talked about the concept of evergreen, of, you yep. know, it's, this is, it doesn't matter what changes are happening. This is always going to be good information. We've even talked about filming, you know, a few, we're recording a few evergreen podcasts. Right. In case, yes, you know, having that, that content ready. And, and what's great about evergreen content, and this is, you know, to go back to what I was saying with this blog that I read, they're like, post it today, then go again, post it, but schedule it six months later. Yeah. And then again, do it again and schedule it a year later. And then all of a sudden in six months or a year, you're going to realize that you're posting two times, three times as much content because you've already set yourself up to do this. Mm -hmm. So instead of looking back at your evergreen content, post it forward. Yeah. Yeah. And and have it ready. So that's a whole nother, you know, concept on that. So um, yeah, we, we love that. And also with the advent of AI, um, what we've done is we'll take our copywriting from last year. We'll put it in and we'll say, rewrite this as a marketing expert, rewrite this as a roofer, rewrite this as Fred Flintstone, (laughs) (laughs) you know, whatever we want to do to make it funny or anything. And um, it helps a lot. I mean, obviously we don't just copy and paste from AI. We still reread it. And, you know, I've, I've noticed, especially Chad GPT, it still writes a little too fluffy and flowery for us sometimes, a little too adjective based. So we'll cut that back, but it's, it's a great starting point. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that, that, that's the yeah starting point that that's what AI is right now. It's a great starting point. And again, you know, just in general, it, it, the better, the better your question or the better your topic, the better you're going to get out of it. And we've talked about that before garbage in garbage out. If you say, you know, write, write about rocks. Okay. You, there you go. <laughs> you know, it's just going to be. The power of the question. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah that, that's all I wanted to kick back on that. So yeah, right, yeah. I do have my, my question for you. And oh. this is going to go back to my, my first topic here today of, you know, talking about parting ways with your biggest client. And I wanted to ask you what stands out to you as one of the, the biggest adversities that you've had to overcome being an entrepreneur. Wow. That's, that's a big one. Um, I think, I think it's just the, the, the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur is really the the toughest. I mean, you, obviously losing a big client, you know, is and can be devastating. But you know, you ne- it's the excitement of the future is not set. You know, you're not going to the coal mine next month. However, there's no paycheck from the coal mine, so you do know <laughs> that next month is just going to be. It's going to be really exciting because, you know, there's going to be pluses and minuses and things are going to happen. 
And, and so that's always a challenge to just keep pushing forward, even when those downside moments happen, when you don't have that, quote, um, you know, sure thing backstop of a weekly paycheck that is guaranteed by a much, much, much bigger company. However, again, those freedoms are, are certainly there. So, I, you know, I, I have lost absolutely enormous clients in the past uh, that, you know, helped form how I do business in the future and keeping that diversity there and not letting a company be half of my business. And, and here's a good point with that, that client that came back is that I made sure that that client was just gravy. I made sure that all my other clients paid the bills and I kept working. And that wasn't necessarily always the case. So if that went backwards and I was like, depending on that client for say payroll, I I, I knew I had to get out there and, and start building because I, I knew eventually and know eventually that client will go away. They will. It's just going to happen. It, they all go away eventually. Um, it could be 10 years from now. We have a client that uh, we both share that that client's been with me for 10 years. And and but someday may retire. You know, who knows? You never know what, what could happen. So you just always have to be prepared. So well, I, I, I was like I, I'm sure I, I'm sure after this podcast, I'm going to think of, oh, I should have mentioned that one. But trust me, there have been plenty of that ones. And maybe we'll follow up on an episode. I can write some of them down. <laughs> it, was, it was a loaded question to ask you. So um, but I, I always love that. You know, I'm an optimist. I'll, I'll say that, you know, I've probably even said it a few times on this podcast. Um, but when one door closes, another door opens. Sure. And, and I've got more time now to run through these other doors. So, um, yeah, God. So it's uh, yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah. So and- um, you, I believe you have one last topic. Yeah, one last topic doesn't have to be a, a long uh, topic. It really is just about live streaming. I've been thinking about this with a number of projects. And I have live streamed before, and there are a number of good platforms out there. Um, I use Restream uh, IO, and it's worked very well for me. But there's some many, many other, you know, OBS is, is, a, is a free way in which you it's a little more technical but something you can use there there are a number of different platforms that allow you to stream live while use you know let's say across platforms you know go live on facebook youtube uh, linkedin all at once Uh Uh, and and so why 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 would i do it? it really is a community thing now i have a friend who has about eight hundred thousand followers on youtube And he live streams every Saturday. And every Saturday, he loses more subscribers than he gains. But he does it anyway. And he continues because he figures he is cleaning out the people who don't care. Mm. And, And it really, the people who are staying and who are there are his true community members. And He's still growing. I mean, he's going to hit a million before you know it. And the thing is, he has a really strong community. People who like him really like him and like his work a lot. And so I think I think it's important if you want to really connect with your audience and build that deeper relationship, just like early days of social media, people would say, 
oh, you know, now we're talking via computer. Nobody's ever going to want to meet again. That is so wrong because when you really start connecting with somebody on social, what do you want to do next? Right. Meet in person and deepen that relationship. And that relationship gets even deeper. And the live kind of gives you a halfway point because you can interact and have you know question and answer and get feel like and and I and I have a few people that I've known through the years in the YouTube community who I I I really interacted and we would talk in a sense through live streams and then eventually met in person and those relationships are strong to this day. So it's a community builder. And that so what what are your thoughts on live stream, especially when you deal with your your clients and uh and what you advise? Uh well first of all I can't wait until this show goes live. <laughs> I, I think we can do that now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. We should do that. Yeah. We'll do that at some point when the audience gets there, when they, they crave it and command it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they, will, live, they will. <laughs> they will. The people, yeah, if you build it, they will come. Um, yeah, I, I've gone live uh, with, you know, on site with a few clients and stuff like that. And it's always really good for, um, you know, being impactful um, with the audience. I, I think that it's gone away a little bit, at least in the Facebook, Instagram world from the algorithm where, you know, you go live and all of a sudden, boom, you're in front of, you know, 80% of the eyeballs that normally would see. And now it's you know, not as much as that. Right. So um, I think it's, you know, it's necessary to do it, to switch it up, to make sure you're posting all content types. Um, that's one of the things I always said that, you know, Facebook, Google, all these things are happy when you use all of the tools that they give you. Sure. And, you know, oh, that's a good point. Gaming the algorithm the right way is making sure that, yeah, you do go live every now and then and, and interact with the audience. But yeah, that realness of being able to answer a question in real time and connect with people and stuff like that is it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Um, but also it's nerve wracking too. Um, I'm not somebody who, who typically does that actually, you know, even being on this podcast in general has pushed me outside of my comfort zone. Um, just cause you're afraid you, you know, might say or look stupid or say something like that, but <laughs> you know, you just gotta put yourself out there and, uh, you know, hopefully your, your personality shines through and you know, your product or whatever it is that you're putting out there. So, um, you know, it's important. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. Um, if you have any questions, uh, we have started to get people who have asked us um, about being on this show. Uh, there's some professional organizations out there that help find placement for podcasters. They're welcome to, and that's where some of them came from. But they addressed us both. That means they've they understand the show at, at a basic level. So that's good. You know, we're getting uh, Brian's name out there, uh, getting our podcast out there, uh, Creative Entrepreneur Show. Dot com. That's where you go to ask questions, connect with us. And hey, we're looking forward to talking with you next week. Sounds good. Yeah. And just so the audience knows, we've got the uh, 500th episode uh, coming up on the horizon. So Rosh and I are going to work on planning something special for that one. We don't have any confirmed plans yet, but I figured if I said it now, it would uh, put our feet to the fire to do something cool. So yeah, it's, yep. it's coming I up. feel my feet burning already. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no problem. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you all soon. Talk to you later.